Welcome to the FinNation podcast, where we wholeheartedly believe women entrepreneurs are leaders that rise together. Success does not have a definition. There are no secret strategies. Women entrepreneurs are rewriting history by defining success on their own terms. Hi, I'm your host, White Devgannon, the down-to-earth chick with a different name. Each week, join me for inspiring stories and powerful interviews of women entrepreneurs sharing their lessons to success to help you take your business to the next level. Now, let's go for it. Welcome back to the Fem Nation, guys. I have an amazing just beautiful guest on today. I know you guys don't get the video side of it. We get to see each other. But I wanted to bring on Michelle Siler Tucker today, and I'm excited to have her. She's the founder and CEO of Siler Tucker Incorporated. She holds the Mergers and Acquisition Master Intermediary title, as well as Certified Mergers and Acquisition Professional. And let's keep going, Certified business Senior Business Analyst. Michelle also owns many other businesses in several different industries. As a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she is regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Her and her firm have sold over a thousand businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable track record for success. Michelle, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Let's start with the question of the hour. How did your entrepreneurial journey begin? That's, you know, that's, that's a question I get asked often and <laughs> I really start thinking about it. You know, um, I really think it kind of began in my childhood when I kept telling my mom, I'm never going to work for anybody, you know? <laughs> yes. I don't want to work for anybody. I, I want to be my own boss. And the main reason for that is because I, my number one big pet, biggest pet peeve is I don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> I hear you on that. I hear you. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I, I've done, I've, I've said that since I was probably seven years old, I wasn't your typical child. I didn't play with toys or dolls, or I would walk around with a notebook and a pen and I would walk up to strangers at the bank, at the grocery store, at the pharmacy and walk up to them and ask them, Hey, I'm Michelle. Tell me about yourself. What do you do? How did you get started? (laughs) And I started doing that at like seven years old, eight years old. And so I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. I always knew that I'm a people person. I love people. And I always knew I would be an entrepreneur. So I have owned many different businesses along the way. I did go to work for corporate America. I did get that J-O-B. Yes. <laughs> and um, for a Fortune 500 company, a little small company called Xerox. And Xerox actually recruited me. And then within six months, they promoted me to regional vice president, over a hundred salespeople. And that was quite impressive because Xerox doesn't promote anyone without being there for at least two years. And when I got that promotion, you know, I thought it was going to be great. And I was so excited. And then I found out very quickly that I hated it. (laughs) And, and the reason for that is, you know, I love, I like leadership. I like management. I like, you know, strategizing what I don't like. I like solving problems. What I don't like in corporate America is you can't get anything done. <laughs> you know, it's you true. have to go through so much red tape. So I ended up leaving Xerox and starting a um, my own company, a franchise development company, where we did franchise development. We help um, business owners who had two or three or four locations really start a franchise. We help them with their paperwork, help them with their UFOC, the universal franchise offering. We'd help them put together a whole program 
And so we did franchise development, then we would become a developer for them and do franchise sales, franchise consulting. And I had equity in different franchisors companies. But what kept happening to me is so many buyers kept asking me, do you have any existing businesses? We don't want to buy a franchise. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And I'm a big, you know, I listen to Bob Proctor and, you know, I'm a big believer in law of attraction. And I said, gosh, I got to stop saying no. I need to start saying yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Precisely. And, and that's when, you know, I say, listen to the consumers, listen to what they're asking for. And that's really when I started my M&A practice over 20 plus years ago. And since then, I've personally sold 500 businesses. Altogether, my firm has sold over a thousand in pretty much every vertical you can imagine. Oh my goodness. Such an accomplishment as well. And also leaning into yourself as far as what was, you know, what was and then wasn't working for you as you moved through, you know, going through corporate and determining what your future looked like that fit for you. And and a lot of entrepreneurial people feel that pull and that's that's legitimate. There's nothing wrong with that if they lean into it and explore what that looks like. What would you say when you started your your MA? business, what would you say was one of your most um, memorable transactions, memorable business sales that you did? Which one stuck out? That's tough because there's so, oh my gosh, I've had so many. I mean, I remember going to my client's hospital bed and, you know, doing a closing right there in the hospital. <laughs> you know? sure. There's just so many memorable ones. Um, you know, some of them that really stick out in my head are, are some of these transactions we've been able to get our clients more money for. Um, like, for instance, an oil manufacturing business, we um, appraised that business at $9.8 million, And um, they operated on five of the six Ps. I know we're going to get into six Ps in a little yes, bit. Yes, we are. They operated off of, on all five of the, the six Ps. They were missing patrons. They had customer concentration. So... 65% of the revenue is tied up in BP. We appraise the business at 9.8 million. We have 550 buyers look at this company. We narrowed it down to 12 letter of intents, but every single letter of intent had contingency language in there to mitigate their risk if they lost the BP contract. And I had two partners, one was 80, one was in his 50s. And they're like, we're not doing this. We're not agreeing to that. We'll just keep the company. <laughs> I'm like, all right, hold on. Let me go back to square one. So I went back and found them a strategic. And a strategic has so similar products and services, you know, but not a direct competitor. And this company had been trying to get into BP for decades and could never get their business, their products in the door. So they, you know, said to me, Michelle, look, we're going to outbid everybody else because we want that BP contract. <laughs> so they ended up um, bidding $15 million for 70% of the business, remember it was appraised for 9.8. So that was like 166, 169% more than the ask, more than the appraised price of the business. So that was a big memorable one for me because, um, you know, we really got them so much more money than what they anticipated. And one partner got to retain equity 30% along with their salary and benefits. But there are so many. I mean, there's another company that I helped save their business. They were about to go out of business. They were about to get divorced. You know, they were about to lose their family home and they wanted to sell their business. And instead of selling, I said, your business is not sellable because they didn't have a business. They had a job. And by the time, you know, if we pull you out of the business, there is no business. 
And so I said, gosh, you know, if anybody, if you would have got anyone else but me, <laughs> they would have put you on the market and your business would have never sold. And then you and your wife would be working for someone else. Um, so I ended up partnering with them, investing a quarter of a million dollars, probably more by now, and um, took them out of the garage into a 6,000 square foot building, hired employees, equip, you know, bought all new equipment, vehicles, et cetera, created a business because they were operating a job. And now the business is doing millions. And they actually spoke at my birthday party a few years ago and said, Michelle, they named, Michelle did not only just save our business, she saved our marriage. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. So that's a big one. Those are, that's such an impact on people. What do you love about that? What, how does that make you feel at the end of the day when you do? I mean, these are like my family, you know, of course. <laughs> of course. my family. Um, it makes me feel great, you know, because it's not just about selling businesses. It's about really finding out what those owners need, you know, what they're trying to accomplish and doing what's right for them. I mean, putting their business on the market was not the right thing for them because they would have lost their home. They would have probably filed bankruptcy and they would have been divorced. Absolutely. So it makes me feel great that, that, that I have the core competencies and, and the resources and the capital to be able to do that. And I think God blesses us with these things so we can be a true value, a true blessing to others. Using our gifts and talents for the greater purpose, right? Yes. Let's talk about those six P's. I want to hear a little bit about those and really dive into them for the listeners so that they can understand what it looks like to build a sustainable, scalable, and sellable business. Take us down that road. Sure. And let's talk about why, the, the why behind that. Because it's important to build a solid infrastructure, but why is that so important? Well, Steve Forbes, who endorsed my book, Exit Rich, says that 80% of businesses will never sell. 80%. Now, that should be a huge wake-up call for all business owners because that means you have a less than 20% chance of success when you're ready to cash out and retire. And there are so many reasons why 80% of businesses never sell. The number one reason is business owners never think about selling. They never think about planning their exit until a catastrophic event occurs, whether that's internal or external, internal or health issues burnout, partner disputes, divorce, death, or the external is this pandemic we've been in for the last, you know, what, year and a half now? Yeah. <laughs> Almost two years. <laughs> so the worst time to sell your business is during a pandemic. And business owners wake up one day and say, uh, or during a catastrophic event, business owners will wake up one day and say, oh, I want to sell my business. I can't take it anymore. And the problem is they never built a sellable business. They never built a sellable asset. Many business owners have created a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. So the six P's is that infrastructure to make your business not just sellable, but most importantly, sustainable so you stay in business, a business that you can scale so you can actually enjoy your life and not spend your entire life in your business. And then when you're ready, a business that's actually sellable. So the first P and probably one of the most important pieces why I put it first is because nothing gets done without this P, people. Nothing gets done without people. You don't build a business, you build people. And people build the business. And so many business owners are their business, you know? And especially women entrepreneurs. A lot of women entrepreneurs have to do it all. You know, they got to 
they're the wife, they're the mother, they're the housekeeper, <laughs> they're the educator, especially with this so pandemic. True. And, you know, they don't have people in their business. So the business is a thousand percent dependent upon them. Just like I told you about the husband and wife business that I partnered with, there was no business. They had a job. It was husband, wife, and one employee. So it's important. All of us entrepreneurs have to really look at our business and create a business, create a business that works for us, rather us working for it. Focus on your strengths as entrepreneurs, hire your weaknesses, stop working in the business, start working on the business and make sure you have the right people in the right seats. And then make sure you can ask the who question. Who opens the door? Who answers the phones? Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, quality control, logistics, manufacturing? The list goes on and on. The clue here is that you should never be next to the who because we're trying to build the business to run without you. Now, this might sound like a daunting task, especially if you're a solo entrepreneur. And you might say, well, gosh, Rashad, I can't afford to hire employees. Well, guess what? You can't afford not to. If you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant and you have to start somewhere. Maybe it's not a W-2, maybe it's a 1099, maybe it's an independent contractor. Maybe you're around some colleges where you can uh, start an internship program with a local college. I mean, we're in between four colleges and we have internship programs with all of the colleges. And we have interns that come in our, in our office every, every month. We have a, a rotating intern program. So people is huge. You're never really going to build a sustainable, scalable, sellable business without people. Make sense? Totally makes sense. And the next P is product. This is your product, your service, your industry. And this is extremely important because a lot of business owners, well, let me give you a little history. When I wrote my very first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and learned that 90% of all startups would fail. And those startups within the first one to five years. We all know that, right? That's common knowledge. But here's what I guarantee you probably nobody knows. <laughs> when I did the research for Exit Ridge, I was flabbergasted to learn that the business landscape has actually flip-flopped. Startups are not at great risk anymore. Only 30% of startups are going out of business. There are 30.2 million businesses in the United States employing over half the U.S. workforce. Small business is a backbone of our economy. Out of 27.6 million businesses, those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer. 70% of them are going out of business. 70. Fascinating. Yep. It used to be, gosh, it used to be white dove that if you're in business 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you're golden. You're going to be in business forever. That's not the case. You hear about the big public companies all the time in the media. It's uh, Toys R Us in business 75 years, goes out of business. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier 1 closes down. Disney stores. I just tried to take my daughter to Disney a couple of weeks ago and found out that they're all closed. You know, Disney closed down. Godiva is closing down. GNC is closing down 900 locations. That, but the media doesn't talk about the private business owners. They only talk about public companies. So these private business owners on every street corner, in every town, in every state across the great nation, they're exiting poor. They're selling for pennies on the dollar. They're closing their business. They're filing bankruptcy. This is so sad because, like I said, small business is the backbone of our economy. And let's, let's think about this. As business owners pour our heart, our soul, 
our, our, we make huge sacrifices along the way to grow our companies to end up with nothing to retire on. So it's, this should be a huge wake-up call for entrepreneurs. The number one reason why 70% of these businesses are going out of business and why it's flip-flopped is because business owners stop doing what I call AIM. AIM, A-I-M, is always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. You can't keep doing things the way you've always done because consumers' buying habits have changed. Whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase products and services is the company that's winning. Amazon is winning because <laughs> you can practically buy a horse on Amazon and have it delivered <laughs> in two days. <laughs> so true. So, so, so the reason I'm talking about this with product is because product is your industry. Product is your product, your service. You have to look at your product, your industry, your service, and you have to ask yourself, do I have an Amazon? And I'm at the top of my game. I'm in my prime. No pun intended there. <laughs> and if you're in your prime, then that's when you just sell. Or do you have a blockbuster and you're about to go out of business? Innovation is the key to success. Innovation and marketing. You can't continue to do things the way you've always done them. Why do you think? That's why Apple always changes. That's why Amazon is always making changes. You have to innovate. So with your product, service, and industry, look at it and ask yourself, you know, is my industry dying? Is my industry thriving? If you're in a dying industry, do what, what Amazon did in the 90s. Amazon asked three questions back in the 90s. They asked themselves, what business are we in? And they said, we're in a book fulfillment business. We fulfill book orders. Number two question, what's your secret sauce? What do you do better than everybody else? What's your USP, unique selling proposition? And Amazon said, we do what we do better than everybody else is fulfillment. We do that better than everybody else. So the third obvious question is, what business should we be in? What business should we pivot to? What business should we transition to? And Amazon said, oh, we need to stop just doing books. We need to fulfill products for everybody all around the world. And those three transformational questions is what transformed Amazon from a small book fulfillment center to the multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Absolutely. And you make a valid point on the innovation because it is a rapidly changing entrepreneurial landscape at this point. And so many entrepreneurs, and I've seen this go into it, that they just want to build the thing and then ride off into the sunset with the thing, the thing that they build, the business or the idea or the product or the service. And you can't do that anymore. You can't do that because consumers are not loyal <laughs> anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and consumers' buying habits have changed dramatically. Number one, because of Amazon. Amazon has changed the way that consumers purchase products and services. Number two, because of this pandemic. This pandemic has changed the way we all do things. It's changed the way that we purchase products and services. It's changed entertainment. It's changed workouts. It's changed education. It's changed pretty much every aspect of our life. So. Entrepreneurs have to really get on top of that. And you're a strategist, so I know you probably work with your clients on this, but you got to really get on top of that and go, okay, what's where's the shift? What's happening? How can I be ahead of the game? You know, and innovation is key. It is key. It, it, it's necessary and it's going to prolong their longevity if they embrace it. Yeah. And it's, and it's not just innovation on products and it's innovations. It's innovation in the way you, you retain employees. It's innovation in the next period we're going to talk about, which is processes. You know, it's innovation in the way that you obtain and retain clients. 
you know, innovation is in every aspect of these P's. So let's jump into processes. So processes. All right. As a strategist, you're probably going to love processes. I know. <laughs> processes are kind of like exit strategy, right? Exit strategy, business owners don't think about it. And so they wake up one day and go, I can't take it anymore. Well, process is kind of the same thing. You know, business owners will go, oh my gosh, we need a process for that. Because this just, look, we were selling the manufacturing business. And the true story, <laughs> there was a, a catastrophic injury on the manufacturing floor. An employee lost a limb. And so talk about completely closing down your doors. I mean, that closed this business owner's doors. It was no longer sellable. He was in bankruptcy court. You know what he said to me? He said, Michelle, I need a process for health and safety. (laughs) And I'm like, you're right, but you're a little late for that. So processes are something that should be designed from the beginning of buying or starting a company. But processes is always ever-changing, just like innovation, right? And so it's always ongoing. But here's where most business owners get this wrong. Most business owners design their processes around the owner's agenda, not around the customer experience. So you have to look at your business and ask yourself, am, am I designing my processes around my own agenda? Like look at doctor's offices, what are their hours? Monday through Friday, nine to five. When do we all work? Monday through Friday from nine to five. Right. <laughs> so have they designed their processes around their patient's experience? Or have and patients convenience to have they designed it around the doctors and the staff's out agenda, right? So my husband and I own medical clinics. We practice what we preach. So we have evening hours and Saturday hours for our clients, for our patients. So ask yourself, what do you want your customers to experience? Come up with three things. No more, no less. McDonald's did this back in the 50s. Did you ever watch the movie The Founder based upon the McDonald brothers and Ray Kroc story? I have not. Best movie that you and all of your listeners should watch called The Founder. So back in 1950, McDonald brothers said, we want to build a fast food restaurant because back then what was popular was drive-thrus and drive-thrus took forever to get the food. It was always, the order was wrong. It was always hot. So McDonald's said, We want to build a fast food system, fast food process. We want our customers to experience these three things. Great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. They created all their processes around that customer experience. It is the reason that you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world and pretty much get the same experience. They never said it was going to be healthy food. They never said it was going to be great customer service because <laughs> it's not, <laughs> you know, and it's also, you know, McDonald's has all these processes and SOP checklists and everything else. I mean, they can fire somebody and have somebody working that front counter or the drive through within minutes. So ask yourself, look at your business and ask yourself, what do you want your customers to experience? Come up with three things and develop your processes around those three things. You will have, you will be able to retain happy clients if you do that. Create wow experiences for your clients. If you don't, then you're going to lose market share. Make sense? By default, you'll lose market share. By default. And the processes must be documented. You know, I can't begin to tell you how many companies I walk into and we're selling it for 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars and our processes are a disaster. 
And so you need those policy and procedure manuals. You need those SOP checklists. You need those employee handbooks, those employee contracts for, um, you know, when you're building your business and you're going to hire a management team, make sure you also have those non-competes in place. So the, any questions there? No, processes. I, I geek out on processes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to geek out on processes. <laughs> I could go down a rabbit hole with processes, but I want to hit the all six but does of these. It, so. but does that make sense what I'm talking about? Designing around oh, for sure. the customer's experience? Because have you ever had a negative experience <laughs> where you've called a bank or a retail outlet or something because you have a problem and you have to listen and push all these different buttons to try to get a live person? You get somebody, you tell them your entire story, your issue. And like, oh, I'm sorry, wrong department. Let me transfer you. And then you get disconnected. And then you have to call back. It is infuriating. <laughs> Even when you try to practice patience, it yes. still gets you. Yeah, well, patience is not one of my seven Ps. <laughs> I mean, my six Ps. <laughs> All right, so proprietary. Let's move on to proprietary. Proprietary is the highest value driver that will get you the highest multiple on the sale of your company. So I'll just give you a quick crash course in business evaluations. Businesses that have under a million dollars in EBITDA, EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, will typically trade for anywhere from one to three, maybe three and a half, um, depending upon these proprietary assets. If you have over a million dollars in EBITDA, then the multiples typically start at five and go up, Okay. Proprietary assets can take you from a three to a four to eight to 10 to 15. So we got to get this right. (laughs) (laughs) The six pillars to proprietary, the last two P's are very quick. This one takes me a little bit longer. Then the, so there's six, six pillars to proprietary. Number one is branding. The more well-branded your company is, the more I can sell it for. As long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Meaning people are not going to pay anything for a dead brand. You think nobody's going to pay anything for Blockbuster. The most valuable brand in the world is, do you know? Not off the top of my head. What start, is it? Start with A. Amazon? Apple. Oh. <laughs> the other yes, A. Right, <laughs> yeah. Amazon's in the top 10. Apple is the number one brand in the world worth $389 billion just for the brand. That doesn't include anything else. Okay. So branding is huge. And then trademarks. A lot of business owners, we're going to talk to when we talk about proprietary, I'm also talk to you about the mistakes business owners make. So a lot of business owners make this mistake. When they start a business, they think of a name, they go to GoDaddy, like, yes, I got the dot com. <laughs> and then they'll go to their state. Let's say they go to Colorado, they'll get the license, they'll get the trademark in Colorado. But they never look at the federal database to make sure that company name is available. And if somebody's had that company name longer than you, and they do have a federal trademark, you could literally receive a desist and assess a cease and desist letter in the mail. And you, you could have to shut down your business or spend a lot of money finding it. So it only costs about $1,500 to protect that company name and get a federal trademark. Makes sense? Wow. It does make sense. And it's not, that's an often overlooked 
It's uh, always aspect. overlooked. It's all look, I was just talking to an education company right before I jumped on this podcast and they want to sell their business and they have a really great name. And I go, do you have a federal trademark? He goes, no. And I said, you need to go get a federal trademark. He's like, are you? Well, Michelle, I've been longer than everybody else. And I go, it doesn't matter. You could still lose it. Go spend the money and get a federal trademark, not just in your company name, federal trademark, your logo, your slogan, your podcast. You know, make sure you get a federal trademark on your podcast. Protect your IP. Also products. Ladies, if you have some products out there, we have a company that we're selling that has um, six or seven different products and each product is exclusive to retail train stores. So one's at Target, one's in Walmart, one's in TJ Maxx and they have federal trademarks in each one of those products. Buyers will pay more money for that. Patents are huge. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, every shark says the same thing, ask the same question. Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility patent? So patents are huge. If you have IP, make sure you own it in a separate corporation. Don't commingle your assets. And contracts are very valuable. Manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts, vendor agreements, client agreements, especially if it has a re- reoccurring subscription model. The biggest mistake the business owners make with contracts is they don't have the transferability clause that says this contract is transferable upon a new entity. Ooh, I've been doing this 20 years, 1,000 transactions. I've never seen one business owner get this right. 98%, 99% of all sales are asset sales. And so if the buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale and your clients don't agree to sign consent to transfer, your deal is going to fall apart. And not only that, but do you really want to go to your clients and get consent of transfer signed? Because now they know you're selling your company. And what if something falls through? And then we have a client the other day I was talking to. They have a thousand clients on automatic subscription and none of their contracts are transferable. So this is huge. You know, we got to pay attention to this. Databases are big. Databases are big. Now, a lot of Business owners don't pay attention to their databases. Like, oh, I got a million followers. You don't got anything. (laughs) You don't own that. Instagram owns that. Facebook owns that. You know, LinkedIn has all of that. You know, create a funnel where you can capture those, those contacts, capture those leads, and really build that database because, you know, you could be losing money in your company and still sell your database for a lot of money. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. And WhatsApp was hemorrhaging, <laughs> but they had a billion users. They had a synergy. And that's what Facebook was willing to pay for because Facebook knew that they could take those billion users and ROI from that. So that's what we're talking about right now are synergies. Um, also, any type of celebrity endorsements. You know, I know most of your listeners are females. We have some female clients that we're working with that have products with Oprah, endorsed by Oprah. Let me tell you something that raises your brand exponentially and your value because strategics will pay a lot more money for that because they want to get their products in front of the queen of everything. You know, radio personalities, um, you know, like the Kid Craddock show or any of the radio shows that promote products, they can only endorse one vertical at a time. Otherwise, they lose credibility. So if you own that spot, That's prime real estate. We call that digital real estate. Content is huge. Let me give you a really huge tip for your listeners. 
Because if you're a solo entrepreneur, or if you don't have a lot of employees and you're using interns or independent contractors, have them sign an agreement after writing your blogs or press releases or developing photos or graphics or anything for you whatsoever. Have them sign an agreement that you own the content. If you don't do that, you could find yourself in a huge lawsuit <laughs> because they're going to come back. They could come back and claim that they own that content. So this is all proprietary assets can really drive value and get you a lot more money for your business. Make sense? It does. Uh, it drew a question though. And in this uh, rapidly evolving digital product space, because there's a lot of people that are jumping into a lot of entrepreneurial dreams, jumping into it, bootstrapping with nothing, just throwing it together, you know, grabbing a platform, videoing a few things. And of course, trying to make a business out of it, which is easier said than done, but that's that aside. Um, there's a massive uptick in content and digital products that are not viewed as business. They're not seeing it as a business. A lot of entrepreneurs are not seeing it as a business and they're not building it as a business. They're building something and then having to come back in and reverse engineer the rest of it because they did not do it from the get-go. Amen. Mm -hmm. What have you seen? Amen. <laughs> Amen, <laughs> sister. <laughs> I've seen exactly that. You know, um, we've had several companies come to us, somebody who's developed a coffee, a coffee maker, you know, somebody's developed coffee, somebody's developed this product, that product, this product. And yeah, I mean, they're doing great. You know, they manufactured in China, they're selling on Amazon, they're selling some on their website, but they have all independent contractors that work in other areas, which is okay but they don't really have the infrastructure. So they don't really have the people. They don't have the team. And then they'll say, well, you can't have my contractors because those are coming with me for my next business. <laughs> then, you, then you have nothing to sell. So that's what's happening is they're going to market with products, but they're not building out this infrastructure that we're talking about with the people, you know, product processes, et cetera. So when, it, when we go to sell it, there's really not a lot there to sell. The other big issue is what we're about to get into next, which is Patreons. You know, Patreons, most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. Well, these, these companies that you're talking about, a lot of them are selling on Amazon, which is 100% of their revenue. If they lose Amazon, they got nothing. <laughs> and there's, right. there's been companies all the time where Amazon just shuts them down. And then you're out of business. So these companies really have to diversify, not just sell on Amazon. You got to sell on Amazon. You got to sell on um, eBay, Etsy. Um, what's, what's some of the other ones? eBay, Etsy, your own website. You got to develop other channels that you can sell on or even maybe some retail outlets. But that is that is a huge problem. Um, we just got a company ready to go on Shark Tank. They went on Shark Tank. We prepared them to go on Shark Tank. We did the valuations because that's where most people lose on Shark Tank is because they overvaluate their company and they don't know their numbers. I've seen that. So we did an extensive evaluation and we role played with them and we made them practice and practice and practice again and again and again. And they ended up getting two sharks, um, two sharks that come in, came in with them. But they kind of, you know, went in and built a product and did really, really, really well with it and then didn't necessarily go in and build that infrastructure. So you want to make sure that you're also building that infrastructure simultaneously. Otherwise, you're going backwards in reverse engineering, like you said. Has to be has to be part of the conversation, even as much as their creativity loves to live in the creative mode of, of you know, full steam ahead. 
got to have the back end. A business is a business. It doesn't matter if it lives in the digital world or the tangible world. It's still a business. You've got to have the pieces in place. It play. is because otherwise it's just a job. Otherwise it's a job and you're working in that job in that digital world. And when it comes time to sell it, there's nothing to sell. Does that make sense? Totally. And if all you like, we have another guy that was doing, um, I'm not going to say what product he was doing because this could give it away. <laughs> but he was, he was on Wayfair. And 100% of his revenues were coming from Wayfair. And I said, and he wanted millions for his company. And I said, your company's not worth millions. You lose Wayfair, everything's gone. You need right. to diversify and come back to me. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, diversify will. your client base. Oh, yeah. He already has. So, you got to diversify that client base. You know, you got to innovate that client base. So that's patrons. You know, so many companies have customer concentration versus customer diversification. As in the manufacturing story that I told you earlier, they have 65% of the revenue tied up. We also were selling a media um, advertising company and they only have five clients. We were selling them for 10 million. The reason they have five clients is because I worked with five casinos. But guess what? They lost two of the five. The revenues dropped in half. They're even a dropped in half. So when we're evaluating businesses, we're looking at all these different components and looking at, you know, what are the risks here? What can happen? What's the worst case scenarios? And trying to build your business up so the buyer doesn't come in and do the worst case scenario test. Uh, then the next P, the, the most important P to all of your listeners is profits. <laughs> and everybody's always like, Michelle, why do you put profits last? And I put profits last because Lack of profits is never the problem. Lack of profits is never the problem. I was just talking to this educational company. They're like, well, Michelle, you know, we just don't have the profits. Blah, blah, blah. I said, but that's not your problem. Your problem is you don't have people. You don't have processes. You don't have this. Lack of profits is a symptom of not operating on the five Ps. If you're operating on all five cylinders, all five Ps, I can promise you you're going to be profitable. You can't hope but not be. It is foolproof. <laughs> if you're operating on all five cylinders. Right. And profits are all, I mean, gosh, going back to my accounting days and in the number side of it, the profits are literally telling the story in numbers. You know, they're telling what has transacted numbers. So if the profits not is not there, it doesn't mean run to cut your expenses or slam something out there to hope to sell, you know, and confuse your client base by just, you know, throwing more products out there. You've got to go back to the other elements that prohibited you from being profitable in the first place. Absolutely. You got to go, because if you don't have the right people in place, you're going to lose money, right? You, you absolutely are. Because, because, you're going to lack in customer service. You're going to upset clients. You're going to lose market share. If you're in the wrong dying product, dying industry, and you haven't innovated, you're definitely going to lose market share. If your processes are not buttoned up, designed with a customer experience in mind, you're going to lose market share. Plus, you're not going to be as cost efficient as you can because processes can really cost, cause high overhead, you know? And then um, if your proprietary is not all in line in place, you just be spending money to, to fight that. Also back to processes. I think it's like three in five business owners get embezzled every year. Two out of five, three out of five, something like that. Because business owners, when they finally do let go of control, because <laughs> I always say you'll never grow unless you let go of the control. When they finally do get enough people in place, focus on their strengths, hire their weaknesses and delegate, then they just let go completely. You can't do that as a business owner. You must always inspect what you expect 
trust but verify. Go back and make sure that you got policies and procedures in place for your money. <laughs> make sure you're, somebody's not embezzling from you. We were just working on a $10 million um, flooring company. It's like, well, shop. I think my business manager is stealing money. Can you go through all my bank statements for all of our companies? I had three companies. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so we went through all that and there's a lot of suspicious transactions, a lot of suspicious checks. Oh my gosh. They it has to be a checks and balance for them as well. You know, they can, they can delegate, but like you said, they have to be able to verify. Trust, but verify. Absolutely. So those are your six Ps. <laughs> no, those are huge, 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 huge. And I want the listeners to really go back through and listen to that again, because there's so much inside of it. And I said it million to t- millions of times that you have to treat your business like it's a business. You cannot, and like you say, exit strategies, exit strategy, build it to exit because if you don't, it's another job. But the thing is, is that so many people don't see it as a business. They're just running with their creativity and some of them take off really fast. Some of them strap themselves to the hilt trying to make it happen. But yet in the inside of it, they're not even viewing it, treating it, or understanding the very nature of being in business. Absolutely. Uh, many business owners created a lifestyle business. And that's, that's another thing when we're talking about profits. Know your numbers. Know your numbers. I mean, so many business owners come, with, come to us to do valuations and you know, they want to sell their business for a million dollars and they're showing $25,000 net income. <laughs> and because a lot of business owners are running, living out of their business or running so many personal expenses through their business. And the problem with that is we don't know where you're burying the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and the CPA might know where you're burying the bodies, but they don't want to tell us. So I always tell my owners, my entrepreneurs, keep a spreadsheet. Keep a keep an annual spreadsheet by month of everything you've ran through the business to the penny. Because <laughs> when we get into due diligence, buyers are going to want to know if you can't prove it, you can't add it back. And most business owners live out of their business and on paper, they're not making much money. Right. So right. you got to be able, if you're going to run personal expenses for your business, you know, so many business owners are like, oh, Michelle, you can figure that out. No, I can't figure that out. I don't have a crystal ball. So you really need to keep a spreadsheet of those expenses. Absolutely. You wrote a book uh, called Exit 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 Rich. Rich. And in that, what was the determining uh, idea behind the name of it? And what is it? Does it, is it expand on these six Ps? Yes, it expands on a six piece. So the, the name is kind of funny because I have a publishing company and, you know, one of their services was to come up with a name. And I came up with all kinds of names like exit on top, exit on your terms. So I'm like, exit on top. That sounds stupid. Exit on your terms. I'm like, how much is exit rich? I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. Let's go with that. <laughs> so, they didn't come up with a name. I came up with a name. And the reason I came up with exit rich is because so many business owners are exiting poor. So many business owners, like I said, you know, earlier is they're selling for pennies on a dollar. They're closing their business. They're following bankruptcy. 80% of businesses will never, ever sell. So business owners are exiting poor. I want business owners to exit rich. I want business owners to cash out. I want business owners to finally, finally be able to enjoy the fruits of their labor and enjoy their life. 
And you can't do that when you're exiting poor, but you're not going to exit rich unless you follow the steps, unless you plan your exit strategy based upon what I call the GPS exit model that's in my book, Exit Rich, unless you build this infrastructure on the six Ps. And that's half of the book. So Exit Rich is not all about just selling your business. It's about building a sellable asset. Because again, what happens is business owners wake up one day and say, oh, I need to sell my business because I can't take it anymore. And I want to sell it for $20 million and it's worth maybe a hundred thousand. <laughs> so Exit Rich is all about building that sustainable, scalable business. So when you are ready, you do have a sellable asset and you are exiting rich, not poor. Um, and exiting rich is a very, very high possibility if you do it right. If you do it right, if you do it right and align yourself with the right experts and, um, you know, follow the steps in Exit Rich. It is a, it is a step-by-step blueprint. Well, I've, ha- I've had so many entrepreneurs buy Exit Rich and call me up or write me an email or post something and say, gosh, I thought I knew everything and I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I took Exit Rich and because and, we also email you the digital version. So we send you to hardcover. Plus we also email you digital. And we had a pharmaceutical company that um, actually bought it way before the launch date, which was in June. And he said, I printed out on ledger paper. I highlighted everything, gave it to my teams and told everybody to get to work. Sweet. <laughs> he said, we're using it as a workbook. So Exit Rich is, uh, was endorsed by Steve Forbes, co-authored by Sharon Lecter, who writes the mentors corner after each chapter. Sharon Lecter wrote Rich Jeff Porter with Robert Kiyosaki. Have you heard of her? Yep. I've never met anybody who said no. <laughs> and so she she's my co-author. And then Kevin Harrington, original Shark on Shark Tank, also um, wrote the foreword. We did make the Wall Street Journal's bestsellers list. So Wall Street Journal's bestseller, USA Today. And we made several of um, the best-selling categories on Amazon. Yes. We will have the links. You can share the links right now, but we will definitely hyperlink those in the show notes. So let me tell everybody where they can get Exit Rich. So you can go to Amazon, you can go to your favorite bookstore, but if you want all of the golden nuggets, all of the extra value that comes with Exit Rich, go to ExitRichBook.com. ExitRichBook.com for $24.79 plus shipping to anyone that lives in the United States. If you live outside the United States, go to Amazon. That's the easiest way. Inside the United States, ExitRichBook.com, $24.79 plus shipping. We will email you the digital download. We'll also send you the hardcover to your doorstep. We'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club where there's video content where I take really deep dives in some of these different strategies and techniques I've been teaching in the trenches for the last 20 years, plus documents. We have documents to operate your business, to sell your business, sample employee handbooks, policy and procedure manuals, sample letter of intent, purchase agreements, closing documents, due diligence checklist. All the stuff you need to operate and sell your business are there. And gosh, if you want to recreate all these documents, it would probably cost you over $50,000. I know because I've spent the money to create them all. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're also giving a free membership into Club CEOs. And Club CEOs is an entrepreneurship mastermind where we ask, those transformational questions. Now, if you do happen to buy it on Amazon or your, your favorite, you know, Books a Million, whatever, Barnes & Noble, that's okay too. Just email the receipt to us at marketing at and we'll make sure you still get the bonuses. 
I am a business book junkie and I know it's on my next list to get. I love going through those. So I'm going to and get the it. the holidays are coming up. The holidays are coming up. This is a great gift for anybody that you know is a business owner, you know, and again, this is not about selling your business. I, I want everybody to understand this is not about selling your business. Even if you never sell your business, this is going to teach you how to build a business that is going to be extremely profitable, sustainable, and you can scale it. Wonderful. I'm excited for that. I know the listeners will be as well. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that amazing, you know, amazing book to life and breathing life into it. And then all of the extras that go along with it, because I know that they're so needed. For Especially sure. the documents. I mean, the documents right. alone. I mean, for $24.79, this is probably the best value. <laughs> yeah. Ever heard well, on top of it, yeah. I mean, just for what Fem Nation stands for, learning from a badass woman entrepreneur that has seen and, and dealt with and worked with so much. It's just, a, it, I can... I can assure it's going to be a, a valuable asset to have. Thank so, you. What is your definition of, ex, of success? My definition of success is that story I told you about earlier, how I was able to help, you know, the husband and wife save their business, save their marriage, save their family home. You know, my definition of success is really helping as many business owners as I possibly can save their business, exit rich, enjoy the fruits of their labor. Um, it's all about giving back to me. We're also starting a nonprofit called Tucker Teens and Tots, um, which will be an entrepreneurship mentorship from really successful entrepreneurs who get, who really teach entrepreneurial skill sets to abused and neglected children who also have um, job placements, business partnerships, business ownership as well. And that's called Tucker Teens and Tots. So success to me is you know, living your best life, enjoying your life, being a value to as many people as you possibly can be a value to, and sharing your God-given gifts with as many people as you can possibly share with, and being the best mother and wife I can possibly be. I don't know how we could close any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a challenge. <laughs> Michelle, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom on the Fem Nation podcast today. Thank you for gracing my episode today and getting to connect with you and see you and, and really just hear the amazing things that you're doing in this world. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed being with you. Guys, make sure you check the show notes. There's going to be so much amazing links and learning possibilities. This episode alone has been full of so many nuggets of wisdom from an amazing woman entrepreneur out there just crushing the world with her wisdom and her her gifts and her love. Because I can see, we get to see each other, but uh, you guys don't get to see her, but I do. And it's just it, what she brings to the table just radiates from her. So thank, thank you. you. Thank and you. I would, I would also encourage all of your listeners to tune into Exit Rich, my podcast. Yes, well. absolutely. Because and then you can see me. <laughs> yeah, then you can see us because it could be a video on that one. Absolutely. We will we will have a link to that one in the show notes as well because we promote that. So thank you so much. And as always, guys, keep moving forward. Hey, Fem Nation, I know you are called to lead something great. Are you wondering what the next best step is for you? I have a next best step. 
I invite you to walk with me through the Become Unstoppable Challenge. Join me on a 21-day journey to discover your inner leader. Find how to build your confident leading foundation to decide and move forward to your highest potential in business and life. After helping dozens of challengers take hold of their leadership, you will come away from this experience with a renewed sense of confidence in order to serve those who need to hear from you. As a valued listener, I'm inviting you to save 25% on the next 21-day challenge by using code FEM2020. That's F-E-M-2020. Check it out at www.becomeunstoppablechallenge.com. Again, that's www.becomeunstoppablechallenge.com. Coupon code FEM2020. I look forward to seeing you on the inside.